0: Welcome to the very first Know and Do interview that I have ever done. I am very excited for this branch of the Know and Do project that I have been doing for a few months now. The first part of the project is a Facebook page in which I have been posting my near daily learnings from my studies of that day. The next branch that I started about a month and a half ago is this daily devotional Know and Do podcast that I post about five days per week. And about a month ago, I had a thought, I believe inspiration, that there are so many people in my life who have influenced me as they live the Know and Do principle in their lives that I wanted to have conversations with these people and ask them about their story, about when belief became action, about when faith produced works about when testimony became conversion, and about when no became do. So I put together a rough framework about how it could look. Then I created a list of people who have influenced me in my life to be more of a doer of the word and not just a hearer. As I put this list together, one of the first names that came to my mind is a man who I met about five, five or so years ago. I was serving on a board of directors of a cooperative of independent companies, all of whom provided vital services to children with developmental disabilities. We were in the process of putting together a very complex and time-consuming bid as a cooperative to provide early intervention services to young children who either have or were born with severe developmental disabilities or who are at risk of having significant developmental delays if they do not receive professional habilitation services. One of the board members suggested that we bring in a very smart and experienced person to help with the contract bid. She said that he was one of the people that she most respects in life and that his integrity was nearly beyond reproach. So, as a board, we decided to bring Jay Orr in to help us with this very complicated process. From the first moment I met Jay, I felt a kinship with him. I knew that he loved the Lord and that he also knew what he was talking about. I learned a little of his background and immediately respected him as much as I do any other human. Although we do not share the same religion, we share many many common beliefs, the largest and most important of which is that Jesus is our Savior. Well, several years have gone by and it has been a few years since I've seen Jay in person, but through the miracle and blessing of social media I have been able to follow him as he continues on his adventures of life and loving the Lord. A few months ago, he posted that he had published a book with a very catchy title, What You Heard in Church Might Be Wrong, An Appeal for Thoughtful, Insightful, and Spirit-Led Bible Study. Now, since I knew Jay, not by his pseudonym under which he wrote the book, The Padre, and since I really respected his wisdom and takes on very important things in life and eternity, I immediately purchased the book and read it within a couple of days. When Jay agreed to be the very first guest of the Know and Do podcast interviews, I was very grateful and very excited. I love this man, and I think you will too. So, please sit back and enjoy this real conversation that covers lessons, experiences, invitations, conversion, and knowing and doing. It will also include a conversation about the information about how you can purchase a copy of his thought-provoking book, What You Heard in Church Might Be Wrong, an appeal for thoughtful, insightful, and spirit-led Bible study. As it is my first interview, you may notice that the sound quality is not perfect, but I hope you will listen past the sound quality and listen for the message of this interview. Jay, thanks
1: for being willing to open this new venture for me and for Know and Do. It's truly an honor for me to be able to talk to you in this manner and learn a little bit more about you while the listeners likely get to know you for the first time. So um, first off, Jay, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, how you make your living, where you live, and perhaps have lived in the past, a favorite hobby, and most importantly, your favorite.
2: Okay, and, and that's important to me, Jess, and we'll get to that in a minute.
1: Very um, good.
2: <laughs> I was born and raised in the Black Hills of South Dakota. And after doing some time in the United States Marine Corps, I went to work there as an underground gold miner. And I've often said that I I lived a mile above sea level. I drove 10 minutes to work. And I worked as far as a 1,000 feet below sea level. So <laughs> we were working at that time uh, 6,250 feet below the surface. Uh, wow. It was a big, big mine. And it got bigger after I left. Uh, but during this time, a couple of things happened. One, I picked up the nickname of the Padre hmm. because I was always t- trying to tell people about Jesus And I felt that God was calling me into ministry. And so after my wife and I had talked about it and prayed about it, we launched out for uh, Phoenix, Arizona, to go to what was then Grand Canyon College. I got a B.A. in religion from there, went on to Golden Gate Seminary in in, uh, Mill Valley, California, and got my Master of Divinity there. During this time, I pastored, oh, I don't know, four, maybe five churches, but one of them was just a highlight for me, and that was uh, a little church in Sausalito, California, which was just across uh, Richardson Bay, which is part of the San Francisco Bay, uh, from the seminary, and uh, so I had a congregation almost entirely of seminary students and their wives. And let me tell you, if you want to preach to an audience that will keep you on your toes, try that one for size. (laughs) Uh, But then uh, after about 10 years of pastoring, uh, both my wife and I felt that that was not the calling that God had for us. And uh, so after thrashing around for a while, trying to keep a bean in the pot and take care of my family while I pursued something new, I wound up by a happy circumstance in the field of developmental disabilities. Uh, I started as a licensed certified social worker and and held just about every position that there is to hold in the field. And at the end, I owned two separate agencies. And uh, I worked until I was 75 and uh, decided, you know, if I'm ever going to retire, I guess I better do it. And uh, it it occasioned uh, uh, shutting the company down ultimately. Uh, And since then, I've been trying to learn to be productive and uh, do things that I want to do and I feel led to do without interference from outside pressures. Um, So that's kind of my background and, and history
1: Let's see, a favorite hobby and your color, favorite color.
2: I've had every hobby you can imagine. Uh, A few years back, I decided that I was going to revive my interest in instrumental music. I dug out my saxophone and my clarinet, and I played them by the hours every day. Uh, Ever since I got out of the seminary, New Testament Greek and Old Testament Hebrew have been hobbies, Uh, For a while, I uh, I enjoyed video editing and computer assembly. Uh, Writing, I love to write. I've got one book published and another one in progress. Uh, Motorcycle riding, camping. Here's one for you, genealogy. And I am one of the few people who have traced my genealogy back before the foundation of the earth. I'll tell you how that happened. Yeah. Uh, a few years ago, I took a refresher course in Hebrew. And our it was a, a video conference thing. And our professor was uh, University of Haifa in in Israel. And uh, the very first day we introduced ourselves, and when I introduced, said my last name was Orr, she said, oh, what a lovely name. Orr is the Hebrew word for light. And I said, yeah, yeah I know. I took Hebrew. And. And it kind of passed it off as no big thing. But a couple of days later, she was asking me to translate uh, from the book of Genesis. And so I'm translating, and God said, let there be ore, and there was ore. And so, you know, the Bible
1: confirms it.
2: God created (laughs) my genealogy before the world began.
1: That's awesome. I like that.
2: I spent six years uh, studying the Dead Sea Scrolls as a hobby, and uh, currently I'm into hydroponic gardening and camping. Uh, No question at all about this. My favorite color is blue. One of the plants that I'm trying to grow hydroponically is um, uh, forget-me-nots. I almost (laughs) forgot them. (laughs) Uh, but forget-me-nots, and they're a they're a gorgeous blue flower. So it all ties together.
1: Wow, that's really really neat. Thank you for sharing that. So you've shared a little bit about the the basics of your of your life of faith. And is there any other black and white um, history in your walk of faith that you'd like to share with us? And and go, and then we'll add in some color to that a little bit later in this conversation.
2: Well. I became a Christian. I gave my life to Jesus Christ when I was, I don't know, nine or ten years old. But I remember the event. I was at a church camp in the Black Hills of South Dakota, and we were all seated around a campfire singing, into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And I've, I've often said, I don't know what the others were thinking as they sang, but I was sincerely asking Christ to come into my heart. Well, I went home from church camp and went back to playing with the friends that I had, doing the things that I did and going to school. And uh, truthfully, I probably never thought of it again until I was in the Marine Corps and I met the young lady who later became my wife. Mm -hmm. And we decided that, our our relationship, and we weren't calling it a romance at that time, our relationship would revolve around the Lord. Mm. And so many times when we went on dates, we would walk down the street from where she was living to a little neighborhood park, and we'd sit there under the streetlight, and she would teach me the Bible. It was her stimulus, and it was her example, and it was her urging that uh, awakened the spiritual side of me.
1: Isn't that how it often is? A good woman comes into our life and brings us to the Lord in that way. That's definitely Mm -hmm. how it worked in my life, too.
2: Yeah. The interesting part is that uh, her family was, they were Buddhists. And and so uh, she was the first one to convert to Christianity. And then ultimately the rest of her family followed and her father wound up being a pastor. Hmm. But when they converted, they took their Buddha shrine out into the alley and burned it. They were rejected by that neighborhood for years because of that. Uh, and and I can imagine that might be akin to us seeing people burning
1: Bibles. Well, wow, that is a, a big... Uh change and commitments that they made to, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. you know exercise their newly found faith that's really a neat uh, experience well very good so what this project is the no and do project and i'm really grateful that you jay have been a contributing part of the no and do project basically since i began it a couple months ago on facebook um and i really appreciate your insights and, and your comments that uh that you put in there from time to time so you're pretty familiar with what prompted me to do this project and kind of what it is. But to me, the know and do principle is basically this, that when I learn something of real value and worth, that I should put it into action. If not, it doesn't do me or anyone else in my life and in my little circle of influence any good. And it's kind of like the uh, the, the quote that, that is in Scripture that Christ tells Peter, When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And that's mm-hmm. the commission that Jesus gave to Peter in Luke 22. Um, so this conversion can also be represented by a dramatic moments, maybe like Paul on the road to, to Damascus, or Thomas when the resurrected Savior appeared to him after his doubts, and or perhaps the conversion comes over a longer period of time, like with Peter. who was, you know, he was zealous and he was outspoken disciple of Christ. Yet his faith wavered in critical times. When he was walking on water, he fell because of the fear of, of his lack of faith. I uh, denied Christ three times in the, in the last hours of Christ's mortality. But when he had the experience of the feed my sheep um, experience with the Savior after the resurrection, he became what is known as the rock, basically, as, as Christ talked to him. And where mm-hmm. people really learned a lot from his faith and commitment. So with that being said, I'd love to hear about the color of your previously outlined, you know, black and white walk of faith. Let's first talk about the know of your journey, which you kind of talked about here, and then we'll move into the do part. So is there a specific moment, Jay, or perhaps a period of your life when, where you remember thinking or feeling, I really believe, you know, tell me about that if there, if there is. Uh, well, I can tell you the exact day
2: and the year and a good estimate of the time. It was at 8 o'clock in the morning or thereabouts, on the 15th of January, 1956. And I was leaving home to go into the Marine Corps. Uh, My mother and I were standing outside the house in the driveway in the cold South Dakota morning in about two feet of snow and saying our goodbyes. And her final words to me before I left were, you know... What is right, and you know what is wrong. It's up to you to always do what is right and
1: How's that for
2: no one do mm-hmm. uh, but uh I never forgot that moment, and I never forgot those words and many, many times during my experience, and especially after I met my wife and began to learn more about the Bible and more about Christ and Christianity. That those words echoed in my mind. You know what is right, do that. You know what is wrong, don't do that. So uh, it's been. Uh, wh- while I've never phrased it quite as succinctly as you have, uh, it's been a guiding principle for my life.
1: Yeah, and 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 I don't claim to own this principle at all. It's just one that I've learned, as and it's been really impressed on me over the last probably six to eight months. Where pretty much everything, whether it's gospel related, whether it's me walking down the street or at the grocery store, uh, it's almost everything, I'll have these little flashes of of inspiration. Of there's an example of the know and do principle, and then mm-hmm. I, you know, oftentimes I'll record it in my in my morning devotional and study. It's been a really neat experience for me, and it sounds like that experience with your mom. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I'm also grateful for a mom who has stri- striven and worked hard to teach me correct principles and and give me the freedom and the opportunities to follow those uh, correct principles. So, could I chase a rabbit here? Absolutely, um, let's do it.
2: That was one of my my major professor's favorite phrases in college: "That stop chasing rabbits, get back to the subject." <laughs> But there's a attendant principle that I have picked up over probably the past six or eight months. And uh, it has helped me a lot in my Christian walk. And that is what I've called practicing the presence. I brought a devotional on this not too long ago. and started off with the fact that where is God? Well, he's in heaven, our Father who art in heaven. And then when we pray to him, we bow our heads and we do our prayer. And then when we say amen, Siri presses send. And the next thing you know, that prayer is in heaven, eons away. And and God, being God, always checks his email. And so he, he knows what our prayer is. But we don't often think of the fact, that God is right here with us. And so I've encouraged people that you're busy, busy people. This, this devotional was on a, a mission trip to Mexico, a medical mission, and, and I was talking to medical professionals. And I said, you people are busy. You don't have time during the day to stop and have a devotion or whatever some days. But what you can do is practice the presence just take a second and realize God is right here with me while i'm doing this, and it it really brings things to life to realize, yeah, God is right here right now, right here beside me
1: that that is really cool i'm going to I'm going to continue chasing this rabbit for just a minute. um One of my really good friends who um about a year ago was having some really big struggles in his life um he took that very similar uh, practice practice the presence and he would set up an empty chair in his office and that's where the lord sat when he walked down the sidewalk he kept a space between him and the, and the side of the sidewalk mm-hmm. and that's where the lord walked with him and he consciously did this throughout his day practicing that presence so that he could uh, not only feel the the comfort the reassurance that uh You know, the Lord was in control, and he was going to let him be in control, um, but also a physical reminder of that. And I thought that initially when he shared that, I thought, wow, that's weird. (laughs) But as I thought more about it, I thought, man, that's kind of a cool way to remember, to always remember the Savior there. So it helps. Let's add a little bit more color to this. Now let's talk about putting that belief into action. That's some blue to this picture. Can you please share some experiences and opportunities or invitations that have been presented to you in your life to put your faith into action and how doing that and doing what you know has made a difference in your life and perhaps the lives of those around you?
2: To begin with, let me say that faith is a volitional act.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: We, We tend to think we need to go to church and we need to get all fired up and the Holy Spirit will empower us. And then we'll have this strong faith, but faith is volitional and and you need to say at some point, "I believe this," uh-huh. and then after that, the Christian life becomes uh a a volitional thing, right. and uh yeah, we're making choices all day, every day how to put our faith into action uh the most recent uh, this morning being the neighbor came and needed some help, lifting his quadriplegic son on a bed, I went and did it for him and uh and and I did it as as an act of christian service and so all the way along the way we we make decisions sometimes we make them in faith, believing that that's what God wants us to do. And sometimes we make them just adventitiously. And and I can think of one that changed my entire life. And that was that uh, when I was in the Marine Corps and had finished communications school, we were being sent out to various uh, duty stations around the United States. And I was given my choice of what duty station I wanted to go to. And there were three options. There was uh, Headquarters Fleet Marine Force Pacific. There was Camp Pendleton, California. And there was Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. Well, I didn't want to go to either of those last two, and I didn't know where Headquarters Fleet Marine Force Pacific was. But I said that's the one I want. Well, it it was hard because it turned out that FMF PAC's headquarters were in Hawaii. And and I had to tough it out there for two years. Uh, But the the whole thing that I believe came of that was that God put me in a place where I would meet my wife. And uh, to me, that's the, that's, now that was just an adventitious thing that I made a decision and God used it for good. But uh, we're making those decisions all day, every day. Like I say, it's volitional. You can choose to do it or
1: not to do it, but the blessings come when you do it. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. My experience is also, you know, much of my life I've um, felt very driven by works as being the reason for doing things, being saved by works. And I totally misunderstood. I missed the point of all of of Christ's. Uh, what he did for me and for all, but once I finally had this awakening where you know what it doesn't matter what I do; my works are <laughs> they're useless <laughs> you know yeah. in the in the grand scheme of things the works the the actions the things I do really don't mean anything but through the atonement of Christ, through his grace, and through having faith in him. Works become important, but not for salvation. They become important to help others, to help lift others, and try to be, try to do what the Savior would do if He were here in my place. Mm-hmm. And that's where the the do comes in with me. It's not because the things I do are going to earn me some great reward in heaven or anything like that. It's because that's what the knowledge of of the grace and goodness of God motivates me to do so. and,
2: and the one thing that your works do show is intent
1: and and uh sometimes that's not good right. give me an example of uh of what you mean when you say that sometimes that's not good
2: oh there are times when there's there's something that I think I should do, mhm. Not it's not laid on me like um, like a command from God or an urging from God, but it's something I know I should do. Mm-hmm. And if I do it, I've learned that there's often a spiritual blessing that comes as a result of that. And if I don't do it, uh, I've just missed out on something. And and you can analyze those results posthumously. Uh, when it's too late to change it but I think you miss out on some real blessings when you don't follow those the
1: no part of it and do it right yeah that's thank you for sharing that I appreciate that well next let's talk a little bit about uh we'll, we'll get to this book that you mentioned earlier here in a minute I but I want to invite you if you have a favorite passage of scripture or two that embody these experiences in your life, knowing and doing, or that you'd like to share with us and, and maybe expound on that on those verses a little bit after you share them? Um, there are two of them.
2: One is the 14th chapter of Joshua. And, and actually, I believe that the text that I'm referring to is in the 15th. But uh, it's where the Israelites have come in to the land of promise, and Joshua leads them in conquest after conquest after conquest. And finally, they get to the point where everything is has been conquered except for this little area over here, and it just so happened that that was the mountains of Judah. Caleb steps forward and says, you remember at Kadesh Barnea, 45 years ago, that Moses promised me that when we came into the land of promise, that the places where I had had walked as a spy to spy on the land, I could have for my tribe's inheritance. And uh, he said, so therefore, now give me this mountain. And by this mountain, he meant this range of mountains. And um, here he is, he's 85 years old, and he makes a point. I was reading this over again this morning, and I was chuckling because at the beginning in the 13th chapter, God told Joshua, you are old and feeble, and there's much work yet to be done. And Caleb now in the next chapter is saying, I'm as good as I was 45 years ago. I'm just as strong, I'm just as able, and I want to conquer this range of mountains. So that's been a a guiding light for me over the years that you come up against something, and sometimes it's uh, a physical activity that you'd like to do or sometimes it's some kind of a goal that you'd like to reach in your life and I've been praying to God and, and asking, give me this mountain. And it's a way of saying, help me do this, Lord. And it did, that that scriptures meant a lot to me. The other one that I would point out, now these are all scriptures uh apart from the life and ministry of Jesus, because uh, mm-hmm. virtually everything in his life and ministry was a, a pearl. But... Uh, this one is uh, Psalm 42, verse 1 and 2. And uh, the psalmist begins by introducing uh, who this psalm is dedicated to and yadda yadda. And then he said, as the heart, H-A-R-T, or it's a deer, as the deer thirsteth after the streams of water, so thirsteth my soul for thee, O God. My spirit yearns for the living God. When will I come and be in thy presence? And so it's always motivated me to try to be more aware and more indulgent of God's spirit in my life.
1: Thank you for sharing those. I, I really enjoyed those. And that, the experience you shared there in Joshua, Give Me This Mountain, that's awesome. I would never really thought about that uh, passage, but it's fantastic. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. It's a good one. It is. So one thing that you alluded to a little bit earlier, Jay, that we haven't discussed yet, and I really want to talk about this for a bit, is a project that you have worked on and recently published. I think you published it in the end of June or early July. And I was so excited when I learned about this that I went and purchased it. I purchased an electronic copy right away as soon as I heard about it because of our relationship, you know, where we know each other and the respect I have for you. So why don't you take a few minutes and tell us about this project, what it is. And and if you can tell us a little bit about how this project can be related to the know and do principle.
2: Okay. Uh, The project is a book I've written and published. And if I had it to do over again, maybe I would give it a different title. Uh, I I titled it, What You Heard in Church Might Be Wrong. And that Mm -hmm. was simply meant as a grabber so that people would look at the subtitle, which says, An Appeal for Thoughtful, Insightful, and Spirit-Led Bible Study. Mm -hmm. And the thesis of the book is that most Christians study the Bible and some study it very intently. But it's been my observation over the years that people believe what they're told that means. And I think that we ought to read the Bible and listen for the Spirit of God. Second Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And another translation of that verse says, all scripture is breathed by God. Mm. And I have this mental image of God whispering in my ear. So I'm trying to encourage people, when you read the Bible, listen for the voice of God. And it may mean something different to you right at that moment. That is, God intends for it to means something different to you right at that moment than you've heard here or there or the other place. Don't rely on other people to interpret the scripture for your life for this moment. And so what I've set up is a series of exercises in biblical interpretation. And here's a scripture that says this. This is the translation that we always have heard that that, that that verse means. But couldn't it also mean this or even something else? And it's to encourage people to learn to listen for the voice of God when they read the Bible. I may have done a poor job of expressing that, but that's what I tried to. uh, And so uh, it's both knowing and doing. uh, Because sometimes I read a verse of scripture and I think, now, wait a minute that could mean for me, right at this moment, something different than I've always thought it would mean. And so if I know that's what God is saying to me right now in this moment, it's not that the scripture changes. It's not that truth ever changes. It's just that Mm -hmm. sometimes words can mean different things for our life at that moment. And so if
1: I know that then it becomes implicit on me to do it. I I like that. One of the ways that I have recently been uh, reading scripture as I do so is likening it to myself and my current situation. How does this apply to me in my life today? I'm prayerfully doing that. And there are times when, like you mentioned, I feel and hear God breathing in my ear something that applies to me now in a way that I'd never interpreted it before or heard anybody else interpret it before whether or not that is the truth globally or if it's just the truth for me right now in my life and how I can apply it what it means to me now and and that's really helped me out in my own personal study absolutely Um, I could not have said it better if
2: somebody Mm -hmm. wants to learn about the book the website is servehim.today. No dot .com, no dot .org, none of that. Just servehim.today.
1: Servehim.today. That's a great website, by the way. Very good. Is that your personal website or is that the publisher's website?
2: No, that's uh, that's my personal website. I
1: developed it. Very cool. That's that's a great uh, domain name you've got there. Is there a specific chapter or question in this book that maybe you found most interesting in your uh, development of the book? Or maybe that you've gotten a lot of feedback on from people who have said, wow, I have never thought about that particular passage of Scripture that you threw that question out there, and it's really causing me to reflect on things.
2: I think that... Probably the most, I don't want to use the word controversial, but nothing else comes to mind, would be uh, the chapter on the definition of the church.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, and that's the, the upon uh, this rock chapter, correct? Yes. And, uh-huh.
2: and the Greek word is ekklesia. And it's the word from which we get our uh, word ecclesiastical, for instance. And in Greek... It meant the ones who are called out. And in the New Testament church, you only had to believe one thing to become one of them, and that was Jesus is Lord. And so I don't know how to say this. Denominationalism, to an extent, bothers me. Mm -hmm. Because if we are children of God, then we're all part of the church. And I understand why there are differences and all of that, but it's troubling to me that we're the local church, but these people across the street who say they're the local church, they don't have it quite right, and so we don't have fellowship with them. And I've had um, half of my family Mm -hmm. uh, are Latter-day Saints, Okay. And uh, this past summer, six of my young relatives have been out on missions. Wow. And so they typically write a weekly newsletter Mm -hmm. back to the folks to tell them what's happening and all of that. And I'm telling you, those are some of the most inspirational things that I've ever read. These kids are in love with the Lord, and they're doing everything they can to promote him and his name and his grace. And now I'm not an LDS, uh, doubt that I ever will be, but I have fellowship with you, with other Latter-day Saints. And I just wish there were some way that we could come together and
1: all love the Lord together. That's also a thought in my mind of, you know, um, the savior is the rock. He, he, he is, he is, that's all, that's all, that's all there is to it. (laughs) Nothing else is, you know, (laughs) and there's, you know, all of the other ancillary stuff are just appendages to the savior. And sometimes that ancillary stuff carries too much weight. And, and we, no matter what faith we profess to belong to, I think we often put way too much weight on some of those ancillary things, but uh, mm. really the focus should be on the Savior.
2: And uh, I'll, I'll give you an example of one. The doctrine of the Trinity, that doctrine was not developed fully until like the 5th century A.D. Yeah. And the New Testament church, they worshiped the one true God of Israel because most of them were Jews who had come out of, Of Israel. And then along came Jesus, and by his works and his ministry and his miracles and his teachings, he testified that he was divine as well. So now we got two. And then they saw the Holy Spirit coming down on converts and empowering them. And so now we have three, but they did not view them as a trinity. They were somehow all of one, but the LDS church is the only one i know of that practices it like the
1: new testament teaches it yeah that is that is one of those points of doctrine that is different that i have faith uh, the way that i believe is correct it seems logical it seems doctrinal as i research things that's uh thank you for sharing that and i appreciate it <laughs> like
2: uh- well, uh, I have thought in the past, and I can still see it now, that there are some aspects of denominationalism that are good. Mm-hmm. I worked for probably 10 years for the Lutherans. And again, I'm not a Lutheran because I don't, emotionally I don't worship like they worship, but mm-hmm. they do. And and it makes it possible for people with different emotional makeup different backgrounds, different teachings, and whatever, to fit in with a group of like-minded believers and be there. And I guess I'm just saying I wish we could extend that further
1: and have more uh, interdenominational fellowship. Right. Uh, I agree. So one thing that I want to read, uh, just a little excerpt from your book, it's from the preface, and I know that, uh, that we've already kind of done this, but I want to read through it out loud and then have you maybe expound a little bit more on it or just say something after that. My intent here is not to criticize or correct church officials, pastors, preachers, or lay leaders. Most of them spend day after day, week after week in deep study of the scriptures and in a prayerful search for wisdom so that they might faithfully transmit the word of God to the community of saints. My intent is to challenge the person in the pews to accept nothing regarding scripture or practice, just because someone said it. Think about the verses you read and what you hear. Do they really mean what you were told? Is there another interpretation that is possible? Is the interpretation you heard consistent with the setting in which it occurs, with the circumstances to which it relates, and with the biblical teaching and doctrine as a whole? So I love how you worded that in the preface. And that, to me, is the core of of the book. Tell me, is there anything else that maybe you haven't already talked about that you can expound on that invitation, I guess?
2: No, not really off the top of my head, but except to say that when, when you go to the scriptures, we say that it's the word of God. And so that means that it's one way of God communicating with us. And so I would say that be aware, be listening, be trying to be attentive to what God is saying to you through the scriptures, uh, which is a little bit different than saying what the scriptures say, because God speaks through the scriptures. And believe me, I've been there trying to uh, yeah, I'll take you back to uh, seminary days for one thing, Pastoring a church of seminary students, I want to tell you, you spend a lot of time in prayer, a lot of time in study. You want to know when you get up in front of that group that they're not going to throw rocks at you or something. Uh, But I have the utmost respect for the leaders of the various churches. And uh, I I just wanted to ensure that the, the book was not wrongly interpreted.
1: No, and i I think you did a great job. I know you did a great job. I enjoyed it. It was a smooth, not difficult read, but one that really invited me to dig deep and you know the the read itself wasn't what was difficult or what was challenging. It was the putting into action what was read about that that made me think, made me dig, and I really appreciate that and And another thing I appreciate about it is you're you know having much connection with the LDS faith with your extended family really the bedrock where the LDS religion sprung from was from a verse of scripture in the Bible in James 1 5 where it reads if any of you lack wisdom let him ask of God to give all men literally and upbraideth not and it shall be given him how I read your book is that it was just a con- continuous invitation for me to put into action that invitation to ask God when I don't know, He'll answer, and He says that over and over again it's in Scripture. Seek, knock, ask. So, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely, that's a hundred percent what I was trying to do. Well, very good, Jay. Is there any um parting words of wisdom or a parting witness that you'd like to communicate to me and/or any in the audience before we close well, this awesome conversation we've had?
2: I'd like to make a final plug here for my second book. I'm writing a a novel now. This is not a a biblical commentary. It's a novel about the life of John the Baptist. Uh And unless I get a little bit smarter and change the title, I have tentatively titled it Locus for Lunch. And uh, in the book, John the Baptist winds up at Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. And personally, I believe he did spend some time there. And so the book's going to go into that and then follow on through
1: to uh, his death. That sounds really interesting. I love the, the, the working title. If it doesn't change, I think it's a great title, Locusts for Lunch.
2: If you look in Leviticus, the 22nd chapter, you're going to find that locusts were one of the
1: insects that it was permissible for the Jews to eat. Oh, interesting. So it was a clean uh insect. That's mm-hmm. that gives even more background to that. Thank you for sharing that. So real quick, um, on the locust for lunch, when do you think that will be
2: ready to roll? Oh, by the end of the year.
1: Oh, awesome. Yeah, I look forward to that. I'll be one of the first ones there in line. And then with uh, this book that we just talked about, Go ahead and yeah. give us what the title is. What You Heard in Church Might Be Wrong. Mm-hmm. It is an
2: appeal for thoughtful, insightful, and spirit-led Bible study.
1: All right. yeah, And we can find that at servehim.today. Jay, That's it's correct. been a pleasure. I really appreciate this. Yeah, it's just strengthened my respect and friendship that I've developed with you over the last several years, five or six years since we've known each Mm -hmm. other. And I Mm -hmm. really appreciate that, Jay. Um, And God bless you.
0: Thank you. God bless you too, Jay. There you have it. A great interview with a great person who I admire greatly. Thank you again for listening to the Know and Do podcast. If you have found this inspirational in any way, or have felt to do a little bit more of what you know, please subscribe to the podcast. Please like and rate the podcast and give us a quick review. I would love to hear that. And remember, please go and find Jay's book, What You Learned in Church Might Be Wrong, an appeal for thoughtful, insightful, and spirit-led Bible study. You can find it at Serve him dot today have a fantastic day and go out and do what you know thank you felt that way and if I had to tell you the truth I'm afraid I'd have to say that after all I've done and failed to do I feel like less than I was meant to be and what if I could fix myself maybe then I could get free I could try to be somebody else who's much better off than me but i need to remember this that it's when i'm at my weakest i can clearly see he made the lame walk and the dumb talk and he opened blinded eyes to see i